Business Flashback Lessons 1 through 4. Review. Book 5. Business English. Vocabulary. Part 1. Page 38. Capital. Angel Investor. Innovation. ID8. Corporation. Businesslike. Unprofessional. Laid back. Retail. Evolved. Study Skills. Part 1. Page 38. An entrepreneur is a person who starts a business. The first step in starting a new business is to have a business plan. This motivates an entrepreneur to achieve their goals. The second step in starting a business is capital, and the two types are debt and equity. New business owners must consider the laws, regulations, and tax codes that apply to their operation of the business they want to set up. The four elements to every business are business plan, capital, risk, and receipt and record keeping. Marketing helps the owners let others know about the business and the services offered. Once customers know a business, information spreads by word of mouth. More expenditures will be incurred for supplies, raw materials, equipment, and so on as business expands. Receipt and record keeping enables an owner to keep track of all transactions related to the business of starting a business and balance them against the potential risks. Inventory is a list of goods stored for future use. Study Skills, Part 2, Page 39 Dentists, designers, and local grocery store owners often do business as sole proprietorship. What is the owner of the business known as a proprietor? They accept all the losses and profits of the business. One benefit available for persons who intend to venture into this form of business is that the owner may find it easier to obtain investors because the business serves as assets for loans. The striking pride of ownership is balanced by the fact that running a business is very risky. Also, Borrowing money can be difficult, which may create a shortage of funds. The death of the owner of the business may force the business to close. Such effect of death is common to both partnerships and limited partnerships. Small business startups can be financed by the federal government's Small Business Administration or by state departments of finance. In some cases, universities or colleges have small business incubators, whose aims are to promote job creation and economic growth when a sole proprietorship grows and expands rapidly. An owner may decide to form a partnership with two or more people, who are required to sign a contract which becomes legally binding on all parties. A form of partnership where the liability of all but one partner is limited is known as limited partnership. Where a partnership is formed for a specific purpose and for a limited time, it is known as a joint venture. One of the advantages of a partnership is the fact that profits and losses are shared. The advantages of partnership over sole proprietorship are more stable and profit-oriented. Disadvantages of partnership are the fact that if one partner dies, the business must be closed. Listening, part one, page 40, script on page 190, audio script. Before the change, there must be analysis. Organizational change is a costly and difficult business, and there must be a real business need reason in order to change current practice. Typically, changes are attempts to reach new markets, improve productivity, or cope with drastically reduced funding. A good analyst will identify the key problem. Once it's clear what change is required, a change strategy has to be developed. In other words, somebody needs to say what should be done. Sometimes the idea will come from a visionary within the company, perhaps an imaginative and persuasive member of the management team. Otherwise, the company might bring in a consultant to help them find the right solution. Either way, management should also consult with staff at this stage. There should be meetings to help raise awareness of the need for change 
and to give employees a chance to suggest their own solutions. Next comes what's probably the most problematic stage, implementation. Above all else, making the planned change a reality requires communication. Staff will need to be informed of new procedures and, where necessary, trained in new skills. The most important member of the change management team at this stage is the gatekeeper. It's their job to be available to staff, to help them deal with problems they may be having with the changes, and answer any questions, making the change as painless as possible. Finally, there's the consolidation stage. There needs to be a way to collect feedback from employees on how the change is being received. Because there will still be some resistance to the change, even at this stage, someone needs to act as a champion for the innovation. The champion gives encouragement and raises morale by congratulating everyone on a successful changeover and on what's been achieved. Video Lesson Part 1 TED Talk Video Lesson Can the Economy Grow Forever? Let's say you discover a magical gold coin that doubles every 25 years. 75 years later, you'd only have eight coins. But a thousand years later, you'd have over a trillion. And in just 4,600 years, your gold coins would outweigh the observable universe. This periodic doubling is an example of exponential growth. And while we're not in any danger of discovering a real-life golden goose coin, Something almost as consequential has been growing like this for the past 200 or so years, the global economy. Many economists think that an eternally growing economy is necessary to keep improving people's lives, and that if the global economy stops growing, people would fight more over the fixed amount of value that exists rather than working to generate new value. And that raises the question, is infinite growth possible on a finite planet? We measure economic growth by tracking the total financial value of everything a country or the world produces and sells on the market. These products can help us meet basic needs or improve our individual and collective quality of life. But they also, crucially, take resources to invent, build, or maintain. For example, this smartphone. It's valuable in part because it contains aluminum, gallium, and silicon all of which took energy and resources to mine, purify, and turn into a phone. It's also valuable because of all the effort that went into designing the hardware and writing the software. And it's also valuable because a guy in a black turtleneck got up on stage and told you it was. So how do we grow the total financial value of all things? One way is to make more things. Another way is to invent new things. However you do it, Growing the economy requires resources and energy. And eventually, won't we just run out? To answer this question, let's consider what goes into the economy and what comes out of it. Its inputs are labor, capital, which you can think of as money, and natural resources like water or energy. Its output is value. Over the past 200 years, economies have gotten exponentially more efficient at producing value. If we, as a species, are able to keep upgrading our economies so that they get ever more efficient, we could theoretically pump out more and more value using the same, or let's be really ambitious here, fewer resources. So how do we do that? How do we increase efficiency? With new technologies. This is where we hit a snag. New tech, in addition to making things more efficient, 
can also generate new demand, which ends up using more resources. We're actually not in imminent danger of running out of most resources, but we have a much bigger and more immediate problem. The global economy, and in particular those of rich countries, is driving climate change and destroying valuable natural environments on which all of us depend. Soil, forests, fisheries, and countless other resources that help keep our civilization running. So what should we do? This is where economists disagree. Most economists think that new ideas will be able to fix most of these problems. They argue that in the same way that exponentially increasing resource and energy use have fueled exponential economic growth, human ingenuity has also increased exponentially and will rise to meet these challenges in ways that we simply can't predict. For example, between 2000 and 2014, Germany grew their GDP by 16%, while cutting CO2 emissions by 12%. That's impressive, but it's not cutting emissions fast enough to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. For this reason and others, some economists think the solution is to re-engineer our economies completely. They make the case that what we should really be doing is weaning ourselves from the addiction to growth and shifting to a post-growth economy. What would that look like? A post-growth economy wouldn't assume that the economy should grow. Instead, it would require us to focus on improving what we really need, things like renewable energy, healthcare, and public transportation. To do that, post-growth economists suggest that rich countries should do things like guarantee living wages, reduce wealth and income inequality, and ensure universal access to public services like healthcare. In such an economy, people would be theoretically less dependent on their jobs to earn their living or get healthcare, so it might be more feasible to scale down production of things deemed less necessary. But this raises other questions. Who gets to define what's necessary? How would we resolve the inevitable disagreements? Could we really do away with entire industries? The, we'll come up with new ideas to solve these problems, approach can seem as realistic as, well, a magical gold coin. And the we have to fundamentally change our economies approach can seem politically daunting, particularly in rich countries. But one way or another, we have to find a way to benefit everyone while also taking care of our planet. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope that you enjoyed another lesson of Uncle Sam's American English. These audios are synced with our four book series. Contact one of our professors or join our online course by visiting our Facebook page, Uncle Sam's International.